I'm actually drinking Angel's Envy, which would fall in that same category, but I'm more of a Ooh. scotch guy. So the Angel's Envy is a do not touch for me anymore. Mm. Couple, two Thanksgivings ago, I was being hosted by training clients and her husband, and I was there and over dinner, we started at lunchtime and then we moved to their bar okay. and the and it was very controlled. But that afternoon, they both been training with me forever and they were sitting behind me and it, it's a beautiful bar. And I'm sitting there and his my back's to Scott, the guy behind me, and I'm drinking Angel's Envy. And over the course of the evening, I started to notice my glass never got empty. He was back there pouring into it all evening. Needless to say, their 17-year-old son drove me home that yeah, night. Yeah, and yeah, I have yeah. that not had Angel's Envy ever since. So, Yeah, yeah. I'm trying out the bourbons. The scotches have always been more my uh, my style, but um, I'm trying to learn the bourbons. Right. And Angel's Envy is a pretty good, uh, I think, introduction to the bourbons. Absolutely. All right. So um, Rich Swore is the race director for – it's Trivium, correct, it's, or is it Trivium? No, it's not Trivium, but everyone – we should just go by Trivium because it's a lot less work. Uh, I think yeah. it's the Latin for the uh, the meeting of three ways. That's kind of where we, my, my father-in-law right. came up with it. We always called it Trivium because we do triathlons, but apparently we're right. wrong. Um, but it is Trivium. Trivium. Okay. I think I was corrected once before because I always called it Trivium. And I think everybody locally is always like, oh, yeah, Trivium. So Rich is the race director for them. That's how I got to know him. I think the first time I ever raced one of his races was probably um, it was Northeast Park Duathlon. And so since then, I've been racing some of the dues. I haven't really done many of the sprints. Jay and I went to middle school, high school together, grew up playing soccer, and then reconnected through triathlon. Jillian is actually my girlfriend and one of my athletes. She lives on in Seattle. So that's kind of how all this evolved. Did you get a chance to listen? And again, we're, we'll still keep you as a, as yeah. a guest, but did you listen to our first <laughs> podcast? I did. I actually did. Yes. Oh, I don't even have to lie beautiful, about that. Good. I, Good, 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 good. And that's okay. That's just kind of who we are. That's who Rich is. I know I sent you, I know I sent you guys kind of his background information that he sent me. And I know last week Rich and I were out at the Frosty 50 and talked a little bit. I think I can't, oh, it's all good. Gave him a little bit of background of kind of like what we were looking to accomplish just in general with the podcast. And, uh, you know, I think he's got a lot of good stuff to add today. So I think this will be good. So, yeah, good. You want to start with your quote? And yeah, go definitely. Around the horn? Um, you know, kind of going with the new year, the quotes have been a little bit more about fresh starts and just making sure that everything is, it, it starts mental. And that's one thing I'm a big believer on. The quote of the week this week is, if you don't like your past, fix your present, and then you'll have a new past in the future. Yeah, that was, I, I saw that yeah. on Facebook. That's actually, I think, really good. And I think a lot of people need to see see that or hear that too because i think they forget how easy it is to not just start fresh but actually change the direction of your life and and if you if you don't like how things have gone to the extent that you can change certain things or change your mindset about it the time is to do it now so that it does become your new past and yeah, I, I, I mean, really my good. big thing on this is you're not a prisoner to your past. I always like to tell people you can't change it. You can only embrace it, learn from it, adapt from it, but you can change your habits and that will change your future. Yeah. What do you think, Richard? I I agree, but I think it's tough. I think as an endurance athlete, it, it's, it's probably 
in normal life, but I can only look at it from an endurance athlete's perspective because that's all I am. But like those, those demons of the past definitely do haunt you. And it is something you constantly look back at and think about and, and, and just try to, uh, try to run away from, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. I, I want to pull together last week into this week, you know, we talked about no regrets and we talk about a lot living in the moment and you have to do both of those things to do what this quote is saying. If you live in the moment, you're not trapped in the past. You're not thinking about the past. You're also not hoping or dreaming about the future and trying to make it happen. It, it, it's all going to come together if you live in the moment, live and be conscious of what you're trying to do right now to get to your future. Plot those goals, plot that plan, but you still have to stay in the moment. So I, I really like the fixing your present because you've got to remain present. I will agree with Rich 100% on this. As an athlete, part of my competition is competing with me from the previous years, learning from my mistakes. And I've always liked to say, you know, when people are like, what are your goals this year? It's better to be, my goal is to be better than Matt Summer version 2022. 2023 is about being better than version 2022. And one thing I know when I talk with athletes all the time, they get this idea in their head and it's kind of like they didn't achieve a certain goal. And one of the biggest pieces of endurance racing is the mental side. Um, and I know we'll probably discuss that a little bit later. But one thing I like to tell people is you can let it fuel your fire, but you can't let it steal your passion. It's okay to let it fuel your desire to be better and to wake up and to train hard. But when you let that steal your passion, that's when bad things happen. You got to stay passionate about it. You got to let it fuel your fire, but you can't let it consume you to where it's not fun and it's not successful and you're not enjoying the little, the little successes along the way and route to the big accomplishment. Because you got to be passionate about it, but you got to let it fuel you too. So, Matt, did you just sneak a second quote in there? Maybe. He's always. <laughs> <didn't see that. laughs> if, if, you're, if you're around me long so enough, sneaky. it'll be five or six. Trust me, I promise. <laughs> so, so it was pertinent, at least. It was just they gelled yeah. together. I had to well, call you I out. I appreciate on it. it. It's all good. It's all good. So, anyway, <laughs> well, I think that was some good dialogue about the quote. Um, how's everybody's week been? I mean, anything big going on? Any uh, big successes? Any learning experiences, as I like to call them, for anybody? Oh no, I, mine was completely uh, family oriented. My daughter got a student of the month, and then uh, the that very same hour, we decided to uh, play hooky and take her to a water park for the night. Totally unrelated. Uh, we got to the hotel that where the water park was and realized that our daughter had made student of the month and we had pulled her out of school like really bad parents. But <laughs> we took it as a win. I mean, it was uh, it, it was good to just get away from life for a little bit and just enjoy. So that's awesome. Yeah. I love it. I think that's yeah. great, though. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I know it worked out well. Cool. Celebrate the 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 award with the award, right? Yeah, we'll we'll cool. call it. That was the reason we did it, and not just because it seemed like fun. Yeah, <laughs> because exactly. she can't have a glass of scotch, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I have news at work with having a, a new boss, a little bit of a reorganization in our company. So, you know, the reminders that I need to put in my head is sometimes you have to take a couple steps back to move ten steps forward trying to build the energy and recognize, okay, I have a new good boss. 
boss needs to learn what I do. I need to learn what my boss is doing. And not much different than if we think about a new coach in training or a new approach to training that, you know, that recovery, that transition phase, I guess, if you will, there's lots and lots of value in it. May not be fun to do, but stick with it and it's going to end up being a, a better in the long run. So Nice. That's been my week lesson. Yeah, that's crazy. We've had several of those in the past couple of years where just crazy restructuring and, and changes with our business or with life. And in the moment, you're like, this is just chaos. And in the end, it it seems to always work out for the better. And it, it, you can't see that when you're standing in it, but it's like, oh, no, that, that really worked out. Right back to the quote. I'll get right? called out for this, but if nothing changes, nothing changes. <laughs> you're just a bag of quotes yeah. they're just they yeah. come out of me i can't help it so how about you jillian How's mine's usually that? music lyrics so gotcha yeah. yeah 90s music lyrics if i have to be oh true, yeah so. the best the best generation there was right <laughs> yeah i'm actually i'm sitting down here at a uh, airbnb in eugene oregon this weekend uh, my daughter has a volleyball tournament that will take up all three days and she's in the PM wave and we got in late last night. So it was a full day of working and then hit the road and it ended up being almost a five hour drive, but got in and was grateful. The laundry room here actually has a really nice setup. So I was able to throw my kicker and bike on it, but unfortunately she was sick last weekend and whatever she has, she always seems to give to me, even though she's not around me that much. Somehow I just need to like completely quarantine off whenever she gets sick. So just been fighting it and haven't slept well and tried to, tried to give it a go on, on my ride this morning. Um, but I, I, I was pretty, pretty sure it wasn't going to go too well. And it's pretty hard to get into some of the bigger efforts when you can't really breathe and was a tough, a tough day, but just, took it easy and just spun, spun the legs. And that ends up feeling better than, you know, trying to, trying to push too much and then you can't recover. And then it takes longer to get back to, to healthy. Um, so trying to remind myself of that when you want to keep pushing through, but yeah, down in Eugene, Oregon, and it'll be a full weekend of volleyball from about four. Well, they stuck to be there from 2 PM. And then, um, we probably will get done around 10 or 11 at night tonight and Saturday or yeah, tonight and Sunday night. And then it'll be a late trip home on Monday, trying to find a pool in the area. I think there's some local pools. I got to see if I can get there on Monday. Otherwise, at least I know there's, I'm down in Eugene, right? So this is like, isn't this track town USA? I thought it was well, volleyball yeah. USA. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> but I, 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 I'm sure there's somewhere, some great running around here for, for tomorrow. If I'm hopefully I'm feeling back up to it tomorrow. So luckily sitting in the bleachers can be like recovery as long as I just won't be able to cheer too much. or I really won't have a throat. So. Those bleachers are what got me when my daughter played volleyball or any other sport that my spectating was sitting on those hard bleachers. My butt would kill me. I would rather be standing. Yeah. I mean, it's like sitting on the worst saddle in the world for like an hour nonstop. Yeah. yeah. I, I mix up sitting and standing. Yeah. 
Well, why don't we uh, jump on in with Rich and just kind of dissect him and learn more about his story. Dissect Sounds awful. Yeah, I know you're still living. It's not like we're uh, right, anatomy class. Get the scalpel yeah, out. There we go. But <laughs> when I first got to know Rich, I mean, I think every time I raced and was around other people, I kept hearing more and more about him. And it's like, I really didn't know him that well then. And over the years, we've gotten to know each other a little better. But I would hear these stories that like, man, he was a super competitive ITU racer. And I would, I'd be like, really? Like, I mean, not that I doubted it, but it, it, I was like, wow. And that he had raced here and done this and all these different things. And he was a swim team coach at this high school. And that he does races in Michigan too. And I'm like, this guy is busy. I think one of my favorite things that I love that his race company does is the fall is the early spring slash winter duathlons here in North Carolina. There aren't a lot of them in North Carolina yet less. I, I know all over the country and it's some of the most fun racing I've ever had. You know, I, I hate to say they're small cause they're not, but they're small local races here in the Greensboro triad area. And some of them are crazy fast. I think uh, Northeast park is a one and a half mile run, 10 mile bike, one and a half mile run. Talk about red line. That's the type of race that when we go out, <laughs> what are you going to say? Well, well, when you get 20 of the co college athletes coming out there trying to beat you and, and they don't, ra they rarely be actually beat you, but it gets pretty fast out there. It gets, uh, that first 1.5 gets a little hairy around those, those corners. So it, it gets very chippy. I forget what year it was. It might've been like 14, 15, 16. I've been racing them, got out there and there was this young, young stud, Juan Pablo from Duke. Yeah. I ended up getting second overall to Juan Pablo. And he beat me. And the next year I came back and I remember Juan Pablo being there again. And he's like, oh, you're back for more. And I was just like, wow, you know, always draws good competition. The fun part about that was when I first moved to North Carolina, Scott Bassett was putting on the Northeast duathlon. So he stopped doing it for a couple of years. And we asked permission if he cared if we put it on again when we started our company. And he didn't care. Uh, but I always compare it's not the exact same course, but it's very similar. I always compare my times to your guys' times, and I'll leave it alone. But I, I always, uh, I always look and like, eh, I could have been. I was still competitive with them at that point, and now I'm. Now it's, it's, I could run with you guys, but I can't bike with you guys anymore. Yeah, there's so much fun. I mean, there was the Northeast one, and then we had Grandover, we had Hagenstone. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, I mean, they were so much fun, but. I mean, Rich, tell us a little, I mean, how did that evolve? If you want to start with your background from just even high school, college days, Ooh. or do you want to jump in? We could fast track this a bit. I grew up in Michigan. Uh, I started out as a year round swimmer and really loved that. I, I love the camaraderie and the team. So if you get up at 4.30 a.m. with people every day of the week and foot two feet of snow and go to the pool and swim, you... You, it, it's, it's a team. It's a, it's a great team experience, but I did that starting in middle school and really was never a great swimmer, but kind of put the effort in and became a, a, a good swimmer. But halfway through high school became a better runner and kind of pursued that further and, and was uh, running was a bit easier for me, came a little bit easier to me and ended up running a little bit in college. I didn't, I don't know. Still struggle with why I quit track and track and in cross country in college, but struggled with kind of the the professionalism of it, and took a couple years off, and then used my swimming and running to switch into triathlon. Spent a couple years just racing and having fun around Michigan. I would race 
you know, 20 times a year, sometimes twice a week on just racing for the fun of it. And was lucky enough to get my pro card, raced draft legal and ITU for a couple of years, was able to race in Mexico and South America and the U.S. as a draft legal triathlete. And just kind of burnt out on the sport for several reasons, mostly of my own doing, but just didn't want to do it anymore and didn't think I could get any faster, which was, that was at age 28 and I, I'm almost 40 now. And I realized, you know, in hindsight, there was plenty left in the, in the tank and I could have really gone after it, but took, took some time and started putting on races with my, my friends and my wife. We started out with a, cross country league an adult cross country league and it was just we did a a like an nfl style draft in a bar for teams and we would go out and do a four a four race series and we made playing cards with stats on the back as the results it was it was a blast i would still do that if we had time in a heartbeat but once that was done we we decided to put on a triathlon and it went okay and we talked to a friend and he wanted to start a company. He stayed with us for about nine months and then he quit. And my wife and I were left with a company that we were either going to run with or, or, or drop. And we kind of went whole hog. There were several times in the first few years that we looked at the books and realized we probably shouldn't be doing this because we're spending more money than we were making. But she started out as a youth counselor and I was a teacher. So we were used to living, you know, relatively frugally so we could keep doing it. And now we put on. 30 plus races between North Carolina and Michigan a year and honestly it's it's the hardest work I've ever done but it's also kind of the most fulfilling we get to hang out with friends all the time we've created a community in both North Carolina and Michigan where we we know the athletes we know what they're going through we know what their goals are and honestly we have people that we have their backs and they have our backs and we're not massive, massive races, but we, we get to know, we, we're always on the weekends hanging out with friends, which is, which is a lot of fun. And I, I've got to say, having done many of his races, that is the part that I love about those races is that when I show up, Libby or Rich are like, Hey, Matt, what's up? It's that personalized, like, and here comes Matt, you know, Matt Summer coming through and they, they say something about you. And it is a small knit community of very competitive people. Where else do you have races that the post-race food is Libby, his wife, with yogurt and toppings? And it's like a yogurt bar. Or where else do you have, I mean, it's just, it's, I think you guys did pie, was it pie or cake one time? I don't remember. There was so many different When things. we had like three races, we did, like at Libby made 80 apple pies. Yeah. Once we got to more races, we couldn't do that anymore. But it's, it's, it's cool. We, uh, our marketing, we hired a marketing person because I don't, I don't social media very good. That's why I told them and they didn't find that funny either. Uh, but, um, <laughs> They, they asked us if we wanted to keep doing post-race post -race email surveys. And I was like, honestly, there's not a race that I don't talk to every athlete after the race. The surveys aren't that important. I can talk to the athletes in person, and that's a lot better for me. So we might still do those, but it really is that type of community where we're, we get an email from an athlete like Matt. And I don't think I've gotten any negative emails from Matt, but generally we can... They can just call us or talk to us because we're that close. So that's that's what's great about it. And the photography aspect. I mean, I know every race, it's like you would have, I think it was Carrie would be out there. And the guy was awesome. I mean, you get to know the photographer by his first name. And they would post the photos immediately after the race, dozens of them, of everybody. And it was just, they were free to download. He was phenomenal. 
if you ever want an interesting podcast, you should get Carrie on here. I don't know what you will talk about. You won't know. It will be it will be interesting to say the least. Carrie's great. Yeah. But just a lot of fun times, a lot of good races. I I know Richard cares so much about it and I've seen where and again, he, the van's broken down and he needed to get race shirts and it's I mean, you t- you tell that story. Which time? Uh there were <laughs> Oh my God. We don't have vehicle luck or mail luck. I've driven to Cincinnati or some random place in the middle of the night to get shirts or medals so many times because they didn't show up. And I've, we, this year, this is probably our, one of the years I wouldn't consider bad in terms of vehicle luck, but we were rear ended by a motorcyclist who was trying to pass going 60. He flew over the top of the truck. His motorcycle went under the truck. We were T that knocked out our van for a couple months. Our van was T boned by someone pulling out of a gas station who wasn't looking, and our trailer was rear ended by a semi. And that's a good year for us. We don't trivium luck is not good luck. It's it's weird luck. Like it's either extremely good or extremely bad. Like during COVID, our athletes supported us so much that we ended up in in one of our better years just because our athletes loved us so much. But in the same token. A year like this where every vehicle is out of commission. It's just you don't have good luck or bad or middle of the road luck. It's either just this side or that side of horrible. So, yeah. What's what has the rebound for you been like or maybe not a rebound from COVID? You said COVID's good. Were you able to continue racing somehow? And then we came up with some weird ideas for events during COVID. We did one uh, okay. called the escape from from the triad, which we. I'd love to replicate if we have time, but we just we didn't tell the athletes till 24 hours before where the race started. They weren't allowed to wear GPS devices. And oh, during wow. COVID, we started That's, at one I spot love that. and we just said go. And it was whoever got the furthest away from where we said go from. So it wasn't it was as the as the as the crow flies. So they could some people got lost and they did a lot of distance, but they didn't go anywhere. And we just GPSed it and whoever got the furthest away in 12 hours won. So how do you keep people far away from each other? You just tell them to leave and go far away. And so we came up with weird ideas, but <laughs> post COVID awesome. post COVID has been good to us. We, I think again, having a community means you always have a base of athletes that stick with you and hopefully we do good by them and they keep sticking by us. But you know, people are scared of recession type stuff right now, but when you're a local race director, that means they stop going to Disney or wherever to race but they don't stop doing local races because people still love racing so we've 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 done okay i i remember one of the nice things was when racing kind of came back if you will in 2020 or even early 2021 um i remember rich just it, it was a lot easier for some of the smaller race venues to establish and have the social distancing that was being instituted yeah yeah it was weird at one point we had the county whoever was in charge of making sure people were following the rules and the parks and rec and city. And I think for Nat Green's triathlon and duathlon, we had four different transition areas with eight different wave starts just so we could say that we had people separate. And and that's not to say we didn't care about the rules and the safety of athletes, but we were trying to find ways to still have racing while still keeping people safe. And, because we had the connections with the city and we've been doing races with them for years, they, we found ways. I think we had still 80% of our races. I know our craziest one, if I can keep 
do, okay if I tell one more story? Yes. We please. we had a race the day after Thanksgiving. It was a 500 person. This was 2020. 500 person trail race. It was called Black Toenail Friday. And it nice. it was like kind of during right at the beginning of one of the worst waves of COVID. And we had 25 waves of 25 athletes or something like that going off just to have the race. And people had to come in, leave, go out. And it was like it was weird. We were saying hi. Hey, love you. See you guys soon. Leave quickly, though. And we were able to still have racing. And it wasn't like how we love having racing where we can hug people, say, have a great day and, and really get close. But it was it was still racing. So we were able to have 80% of our races and we didn't do a lot wow. of sleeping. We did a whole lot of work, but we were able to still do most of our stuff in a, in a weird, but kind of fun manner. Of your 30 races a year, are, are they all trail run, triathlon, duathlon? Do you have any other than the crazy escape, <laughs> the try, uh, any other we are formats. we are all over the place we have our we have a hundred mile race that spans the outer banks which is also has 100k wow. it's called blackbeard's revenge we have a 50 mile and 55 kilometer trail race up in the new river gorge where you run from the start to the finish point to point and try to catch the train back to the start if you don't we still give you a ride but you get the train back to the start we do a lot of road racing we have the greensboro half we have a lot of r road races up in michigan so we we kind of, we were going to be just a triathlon company, but we found that we did really, we did a great job at putting on trail races and we did a good job at road races. And we just, we had fun with a lot of different stuff. I'm not good at doing the same thing over and over again. In fact, my favorite part about this sport is putting on a new event. So Libby reels me in. I come up with 10 new race ideas a year and maybe I get one new one a year, but mostly Mostly it's just what we have fun doing. So if I'm if I'm at a race, if we put on a race, it's because I think it's going to be fun. Selfish question here. If you are someone who wants to get into race directing, how do you start? How do you even get going? Is it just get some friends together and let it grow organically? So when we we've started hiring a lot more people because I'm getting older and can't. I used to actually set up Northeast Duathlon on my own while Libby and our partner Ryan were working. And, the, and I don't even know how, because we had like, I couldn't lift the stuff now that I used to lift on my own. But when we hire people now, we, we tell them it's, it doesn't take a genius. None of the stuff we do is hard work. Everything we do, it just, it takes a lot of effort and it takes being able to, to, to change on the fly. Like everything, there will be three things that go crazy wrong every single race we put on a race last winter where in the last 24 hours the the forecast switched from snow to sheer ice so we sent out an email saying get screwed with trivium racing and we sat at the start line and put screws in people's shoes so they could run on the ice we did that 90 percent, so i could send out an email that said get screwed by trivium <laughs> racing and 10 percent for safety reasons but it, it's <laughs> It's not, it's not, doesn't, I'm not, I'm not that smart. So it can't take that bright of a person to put on a race. It just takes will, the willingness to, to do it really. So you started with one race, like that was just the, the birth of it. And it went from there. The Ramster triathlon. And there are very few people who did that race. It was a lake that didn't allow swimming and we talked to them and they allowed it. And it was a great race. If we had more parking there, we'd still be doing that one. And then we like, well, shoot, if we can do 
a race where no one else could do it. We'll do it again. And actually, there was another, I won't say his name, but there was a race director who said, I'll quit race directing completely if you can actually get races to happen, in, triathlons to happen in Greensboro. And uh, because the lakes there are drinking water and the city won't allow it. But we uh, we got three, three, two, two triathlons in Greensboro in Lake Brant and Lake Townsend. And with with, with Ramser, that gave us three triathlons. And we, we put on a couple other duathlons as well. We had a full multi-sport series. And then we just started adding other races to it that we really liked. Yeah, so can you go to the very beginning of what does it mean to be the race director? What is how what is it like trying to coordinate and set up a triathlon, for example? Can you kind of walk through the process and what you have to do and what it takes to actually get a race going? Um it's not so first is finding a venue that'll actually happen. Triathlons are a little bit easier just because it you have to have a lake. So you at least know generally the starting location, but it's finding roads where you can ride that are not pothole filled and it's finding areas that will accept a race to happen and it's getting permits from the city and and once you have the permits and have that all in place it's marketing the event which takes up the majority of our time which is the stuff we do during the work promotion insurance getting the the, the permits and everything else and then it's making sure the event is racer friendly. So getting the details out to athletes ahead of time, making sure they know what's going on, making sure they're having a good event, going out at 3 a.m. and sweeping gravel off the course so they can turn correctly on the bike, over marking the course because as an athlete, I learned that athletes are idiots when we're racing and we don't know left from right, even if there's a sign and a volunteer and a sticker and everything else. So we want to make sure that if, if Richard can go the right way most people can go the right way so we overmark the heck out of courses and we honestly we we work ourselves to exhaustion even if the race is going well because we know if we can put that little extra effort in the athlete's going to have a better time now do you do you also design the course or do you have somebody else kind of help or no no it's it's all yeah there's no one else who wants to do this work no uh yeah we design the course so that's that's definitely part of it. And a lot of times the design is hindered or helped by what the city or the county will allow, but we spend a lot of our time working with them to make sure. And, and again, as you build those those relationships with the police and the city, you get a little bit more leniency and they you say, well, this can work. And they say, I don't know how that can work. It's like, we'll make it work. And if you work with a community and you you gain that relationship, it tends to work out. And then you get a lot of feedback from the athletes and you get a lot of feedback and they say, we love that or that didn't work and you try to modify it so that because you don't see everything you and you have to know that as a race director you might think you saw everything ahead of time but year two is always better than year one year three is better than year two year four is better than year three and year five is rained out so you try again in year five and year six and everything generally works out in the end so uh, and it that's the problem with someone with a brain like mine i i hate when things go wrong so it's the emails afterwards because they're not always positive it's reading those emails and taking them with a grain of salt and trying harder the next time. So one of the unique aspects of your race production company is you're in two different states. When you look at a company like Ironman, they're all over the country, but obviously they have more than one race director that is all over. For you and Libby, who are doing you know Trivium, talk about the balance there of getting timing equipment and all the everything back and forth from Michigan 
And it, or do you strategically try to do races so you have a cluster of them in Michigan and then a cluster in North Carolina, or is it all over the place? I would love, love to say we were that that good at creating. So no, no, we don't. We didn't do that at the beginning, and we we've gotten fortunately enough money that we've been able to double up a lot of our equipment. But no, we weren't that good. Like we would take, and and it didn't matter because for the first 10 years of our existence, I or Libby or usually both of us were driving all the way up and all the way down over the weekend to Michigan. So we brought all the equipment with us. So it didn't matter what equipment was there. Uh, the only time that became a problem was two years ago when our trailer lost its axle at, I don't know, 2 a.m. and we were stuck on the road and I had to load a U-Haul. Uh, and it was a winter race. It was It was exactly two years ago almost with a month ago. Uh, and I had to load a U-Haul in the pitch black and the ice to try to get equipment there. And we realized we can't do this. We have to have equipment in both places so that it's it's we don't accidentally have to hopefully not cancel the race, but, you know, do this in the middle of the night to make it work. So we put on events because we were late later to the game race company. We put on a lot of races when other companies didn't have races. So we weren't competing or hurting other companies. So our dates were set based on what was available and what what we could do. And so that leaves it a little kind of all over the place. But we've gotten to the point where we have equipment in both places. Not all of we don't double up everything, but we have some equipment in both places. And next Wednesday, I'll be driving down with a little bit of equipment for our winter, our Whiskey Tango Foxtrot Half Marathon. But like a van load instead of a F-250 full with a 24-foot box truck, hoping that I make it all the way with Trivium Luck. And, and speaking of that, the the Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, the sweatshirts say WTF, so that that's kind of the funny part behind that. It's it's a, yeah, fun fun race. That's right. Athletes are, uh, that's what they want, is something that says WTF half, and that's that's our marketing. That's the extent of our marketing for that race, is we'll put you in a creek in the middle of winter, and your hoodie will say WTF at the end. and. That works. <laughs> so another question I want to follow up on, because this could be unique to North Carolina's triathlon market. You've been around for a long time. There have been this, what I call an explosion, probably back in late, well, probably 2010 to where our market down here was really driven by one company. And they kind of, I would say, oversaturated. I think it got to the point where if you weren't online at midnight to sign up for these races, you did not get in. Um, there was that much demand. And then it's almost like they grew too big and it kind of branched off in more races. Now, you mentioned that you try not to compete with other races that are going on. I feel like any weekend here in the triad or triangle, there's a race going on now. How do you feel when it comes to scheduling races? I know you guys drive primarily will get people in the tri triad, not so much from the triangle. For those that don't aren't familiar with North, North Carolina geography, like the triangle is Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. The triad is Winston-Salem, Greensboro, High Point. So on our end, we with all of our races, we try not to harm another company as best we can. To be honest, WTF moved for a couple of reasons. It used to be the same weekend as Northeast Duathlon, which was a month from when it's it's coming up next weekend. And that's a race we moved because there was a competing race that every time we moved it one week earlier or one week later, they put their trail race on the exact same weekend. And we, we tried to contact them and say, this isn't good for either of us. There's a limited number of trail runners 
let's make sure we're not on the same weekend. And they said, this is the weekend we're hosting ours. So we just moved it a month away because it just made sense. I'm not sure how, how much we, that wasn't the only reason. We also wanted to make sure that the creek crossing was going to happen. And that happens better in January than February. But, and I'm not sure, sure how much that matters with, like how Matt said, there's 20 races a weekend, but we, we try not to harm other people because we started our event and didn't have, you know, any reason to be there. No one, we didn't, we, there's no reason we should have been able to start up a company and there's no reason everyone should have done our races. And there are other companies that are starting out in the same spot and we don't want to harm other events because you know, we know where they've been. And, and honestly, if I'm not putting on a race, I'd like to race their race. So I'd like them to exist. So, so Rich, what are some of the costs um, that maybe athletes don't know about that go into putting on a race? You know, I, I hear race directors talk about having to get permits and like, did those cost money? Are there other things that are actually really expensive, like getting the police lined up? Those are some things that I don't really hear much about, but I assume go into that cost. Right. So our largest costs in order are staff, police, medals, shirts, and then permits. Generally, our races, if if we get to the numbers we hope for, so we have a, a set number we try to hit in terms of participants. If we hit that, we make about 15 to 20% off of every athlete. So if a race doesn't fill up, that goes way down. And if a race gets a little bit more than we project, then it goes up a little bit. But that's, it's not the kind of like, if you're selling a product, you know, 40 to 50% is kind of what you're hoping for. So it, it's, it's a little different. And some, some do better trail races. You don't have as many road closure costs and stuff like that. But those, that's generally how it goes. And do you have to get like a permit? I guess you do because in Raleigh, for example, you can't use the lakes, but just to get the lake and, and kind of close it off for people, you have to pay for that. Yeah, it's it's definitely event specific. There are some races we need like 10 different permits to do. And there are some races the owner of the property says, no, nah, just just do it. Okay. And and that's weird. So it, it really is event de- dependent, but definitely some more than others. We you know, Our pilot mountain to Hanging Rock, we have multiple parks, multiple counties, multiple trail use agreements that we have to have in it. And it's a whole list of different people that have to sign off to let us have our event. So it just depends on the race. Richard, you mentioned the emails. I'm, I'm very curious, or, or should I say, I'm, I want our listeners to learn something as athletes on how to better appreciate race directors. Because I know the negativity I see on Facebook on certain race pages and certainly COVID, the negativity that people felt gypped or whatever when we were all stuck in the same circumstances. What what are like three things that you wish athletes knew that would help them appreciate what you do for them to put on races that we love to race? I would say one would be during COVID, we were all trying to figure it out at the same speed everyone else was. So we had we were doing double the amount of work. Like I think some of our races we had four race plans before the race actually happened. So, you know, four times the amount of work. Like this this will work. Oh shoot, the rules changed. This will work. Oh shoot, the rules changed. Um and sometimes those four things ended in still no race, but the effort and the work was put in. And and that that would lead to the second thing is when something when something like a hurricane happens, 
99.9% of the effort's already been done by the race directors. And we've already spent, we've bought the medals, we've bought the shirts, we've bought the insurance, we've done everything we can. And then we don't have a say when a state of emergency happens. And there's no way to reschedule volunteers, EMS, police, the trails, the road, the, everything. And then the third thing is we're just as, at least just as heartbroken as each of you when an event doesn't happen because that's our entire heart. We put everything, we, I don't know about every race director, but it, when an event of ours is happening, that's all I, that's all my mind that week and heart is into is just making sure that event happens. So when something goes wrong or something doesn't happen, it's not from a lack of caring, at least to this point. I don't know. Maybe in 20 more years, I won't care as much, but I hope that's not the case. But we, we care about every athlete crossing the line and every single thing that's going on. I actually want to put you on the spot a little bit because I don't think I've ever had a chance to ask. I mean, Iron Man obviously is getting beat up <laughs> with the Kona decision. And uh, nine out of 10 complaints I see is racers saying they only make decisions on profit. And I'm just sensing profit may be way down on the list of things you're worried about when putting on a race. I mean, but you do have to make a profit. It's your business. It's your livelihood too. How do you balance that? And how do you, what do you make of Ironman? And, and since you probably have an, a way to perceive a little bit. <laughs> um, it's weird. I still take the athlete approach to big companies like Ironman. Like there are several, I, Oh God, this is a tough one. I know. I'm sorry. Profit, <laughs> profit is way down on the list of race of things. We put on a couple of races, and I won't mention them, but a couple of races a year that don't make money, and it's because we know the athletes like them, and we know that we some of it's that we really like them. Like, God, I love putting on that race. I just still want to put it on. It doesn't make sense financially because we could put on another race. So it's not only a negative that we lose money but it's a negative because we could put on another event because of it. So it's not a good mm -hmm. business move, but you're right. Profits are a part of it. We have to, if we can't survive doing this, we can't put on 30 races a year. We have to do exactly. that. And I'm sure exactly. Iron Man to some extent has to do the exact same thing, but they've been bought and sold so many times that I worry that the production and the event takes a hit because it is, it is purchased as a value added company, right? You have, they, they are bought so they can make more money because someone else thinks they can take something else out of it or get it done cheaper and they can make more money off of it. I'm not sure the Iron Man Hawaii niece thing was necessarily done that way. I don't, I don't know all of it. I'm sure I can see a lot of reasons why, you know, one of the things we were joking with our workers that we were having trouble getting volunteers for races and we found out that iron man hawaii had was like something stupid like two thousand volunteers short it might have even been more than that like a week before their race happened and you can't you know we 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 give money to volunteer groups or we give free entries we don't ever ask for free volunteers but if you're if you can't get enough volunteers to put on the race you got to come up with a new plan and this might be part of it. They might just, this, the, the, the island might be sick of the event. The island might not love the event. That could be because of the athletes. That could be because of the event growing, or it could be for any number of reasons. And if this might be a long-term solution they have to take. That being said, I, you know, I'm a little obviously biased. I do a local independent race over an Ironman any day. And I, I did. I have never done a Hawaii or 
an Iron Man branded half marathon. I never done a, I never never done an actual Iron Man. I never. I'm sure someday I'll want to, but I did half Ironmans and I did non Ironman races because at the time I was racing, I liked liked brands like Rev Three and things like that that were it seemed more athlete centric, and that's I guess that worked out because that's what my company's that's what we hope we're based on. That's what we try we strive to be based on is athlete centric. That being said, if anyone wants to spend ten grand to do one of my races, I'll gladly start putting on. <laughs> no, I, yeah, uh, it's it's got to be tough. I mean, everyone wants all the amenities that Iron Man has, but everyone hates that they're charging what they charge for what they do. So, I can see yeah. both sides of it, which is a weird place to be. No, yeah. it's an important perspective. You know, when I think about the sport of triathlon and even some road races, but especially triathlon, which relies so heavily on on volunteers, it I, I take a step back and I think like, wow, how expensive would it be to athletes to race if you guys actually had to not, I don't want to say pay for volunteers, but the volunteers doing a core piece of work to support the race. So let's say instead of actually hiring volunteers, you actually had had to hire employees or vendors or, you know, people to do that work, just like any other company, right? Like the company that I work for, we don't have any volunteers that come in and help with the books or, you know, do anything like that or help go sell anything. So I, it's interesting how many volunteers are dependent to put on a race. And it's almost like how expensive is it to actually put on a race? And what, what could the cost be to racers and athletes if you didn't have volunteer support? So Last year was kind of the weird year for volunteers, even more so than 2021 and 2020. There were races that were completely canceled. I think there was a big marathon in New England that their entire reason for cancellation was lack of volunteers. So, no, it's cost cost prohibitive to put on an event without volunteers. But to not, I mean, we definitely don't pay you know, our, our largest race for volunteers is probably the Greensboro half. And it's much smaller than most races. I think we have 150 volunteers, but if we were to have to pay 150, 150 people an hourly wage to put on that race, it would not, it was, it's impossible after police costs and everything else, it just wouldn't happen. So your options are donate to their cause, to the, to the group's cause that's bringing out volunteers or give away free entries. So athletes have something that they get back or don't have a volunteer at every single corner on the course and find another way to do what you do. And I think a lot of races are doing that. It scares me though. At our races, we try to have something on the road, a turn signed and a volunteer because we've been at enough races where a volunteer's wandered off and a turn signs blown over or something else. And because only because we have three lines of defense, does an athlete go the right way? And golly, we put on a race last fall where Somebody wandered through the woods and literally stole hundreds. We For our trail races, we put up hanging tape or surveyor flags every 0.05 to 0.1 miles. And someone literally stole hundreds of signs and markers just to be an ass. And there's no way to do anything about that. But we, if you don't have violence, sorry, I'm going way off top. But if you don't have those people at those corners, your line of defense is, is limited to make sure everyone goes the correct direction. But it is a weird business to to be really dependent on other people coming out and supporting it, not in a financial way, but in a, in a supporting way and, and 
helping with registration, helping with food afterwards, making sure athletes get across a river or turn the right way. It, it is weird, but we also don't don't feel that people should be doing that completely uncompensated. So we'll you know, we'll donate to your cause. We'll promote your event instead. We've done that with other smaller races. We'll promote their race in exchange for them volunteering at our race or a free entry. And that it's still really tough to get volunteers, but at least it's a an exchange of of, of goods and services, right. I guess. Well, I think on one of our earlier podcasts that we did, one of the things we talked about was how can you give back to the sport? And I think, Richard, after talking with you, and I think it's clear for our listeners that if you want to race, you got to support local races. I mean, it all starts there. Yep. That's where we all got our grassroots start. Let's throw the challenge out to everybody. Get out there and volunteer. So. I don't want to change gears too much, but we've heard a lot about Rich on your business side. I'm excited about you as an athlete. I mean, you're a fast dude. A you're really you're the dude. only one. No one else is excited. Uh, come on, that. man. No, I am. Um, I know you've got some uh, goals that you've, you've vocalized to me, and I know you've talked about it to some other people. If you want to share them, I'd love love to hear you chat about them. It, it's a I always kind of joke, um, we're getting older, not necessarily faster. We're just getting wiser with the speed we got, is what I like to say. Talk to me about your race goals, your ambitions, what you as an athlete, not a race director, are doing these days to feed your competitive edge. So I took somewhere between seven and 10 years off of really racing. I would get into shape and then get out of shape and I do a local event, but I wouldn't really put myself out there. And honestly, I, I you know, I, I am I am a scared racer. I don't like talking about it, but this year's the first time I've really gotten into saying what I'm doing and hoping that's a motivator for me. But I'm trying to do the old man thing and get one one last one last hurrah. So I'm 39, going to be 40 halfway through the year in June, and the goal, I guess, by the Olympic trials cut is to hit at least hit the Olympic trials cut in the marathon. Uh, and if you know my marathon background, that's a horrible idea because it's the only the only record I've ever set in a marathon is most porta potty visits in a marathon, and that didn't end well. But the goal is like two fifteen or at least sub two eighteen, so I make the OQT and then sub one hundred five and a half just for fun. But generally, is to be and it's weird to have those goals, but also say to be fitter than I've ever been before because right now I am the weakest athlete I've ever been. I am structurally and strength wise weak. I, I go to my own events and I have trouble lifting things that I used to be able to lift on my own. And I need two or three people to help. I just core wise, I'm not a straw. I'm a runner, which means I don't, I, that sounds bad. I don't have the, the outside strengths I used to have. I don't have the swing strength I used to have or the lifting strength I used to have. And it, it's just a different, a different place for me. And I, I, I think Matt can, you guys could probably all agree as you get older, the actual physical strength matters a lot more and it's something you lose a lot quicker. So I'm, I'm focusing on strength. I'm focusing on eating. I'm focusing on mental strength, which is my biggest weakness. And hopefully all of that combined also makes me a faster athlete. We'll see. It, it might not work, but that's my, that's my theory. Nice. So that's, an, so right now, like what's your timeline for these events to, to get these goals? What's your training duration here? So I was smart, and so I, this wasn't the first time I had this goal. I tried to make it the last last OQT cycle, and I I did 
I did a race. I did Houston Marathon in 2020 and was well ahead of pace going into mile somewhere between 18 and 20 and kicked a seam in the road and injured my ankle and had to jog it in and went 225. And I really was having the race of my life and just didn't put it together. So trying it again, the the window closes at the end of January. I was originally trying to hit it in March and we realized that old man Richard is not getting as fast as he used to be and it's taking a lot longer to get there and there are other hurdles like putting on events in life and a family so we're probably pushing that back I will probably do I haven't picked the exact race I, I might have but I would I would be remiss to say it right now because the, what I was trying to get at originally was that I hired a coach to kind of force me to 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 not do 200 miles a week and do something stupid so I'm I we we're pushing for a race probably now in in May and if we don't hit that we'll we'll pick an emergency race in well we'll pick a fall race an emergency race in December probably the last ditch effort will be CIM in December but kind of hired a coach I'm doing 70 to 80 miles right now and it's it's killing me because I'd like to be doing 100 miles which would probably lead to an injury and would mean I'd be sidelined and I wouldn't get where I wanted to be so you know, did the smartest thing I could, hired someone else to tell me to, to shut up, sit down and take a break. And hopefully that that's the, the key. You got married, you said? <laughs> Somebody to tell you to sit yeah, down, really. shut up, take a seat? <laughs> I got plenty of those in my life, but I only listened to the coach. Yeah. <laughs> are you are you doing any cross training or are you just a pure running training, so swimming and biking to support it? We we're just starting to add that in. We're just starting to realize that I'm weaker I really am weaker than I have been in the past. So we're adding swimming okay. in twice a week, which is great. I, I hate getting in the pool. I, I, I'm that, that swimmer who was, you know, sat there on the edge for 15 minutes because I didn't want to be cold. But once you're in the water, there's nothing better than swimming. So we're adding two days a week of swimming and we're going to add a little bit of biking and, and a lot of strength. Honestly, the old man's strength is what I need. So those cross trainings becoming a bigger part of what I'm doing as, as we learn who I am as an athlete. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, the strength training is definitely what I've incorporated the last two years and was missing in my previous five years of learning how to race this sport. And, it, you know, I'm older than I've ever been and <laughs> I feel better and stronger than I have, have ever been. So it's definitely worth it. I mean, it. that's a huge part. And it's weird. Like I, I hold every coaching certification that I can. So I know what's going on and, and how to do it, but I still need a coach to tell me to do it right. Like I know what I should be doing, but every ounce of me just wants to go out for a 20 mile run as fast as I can and, you know, hurt myself. And, and the other thing is, I've been lucky enough to see, you know, older, faster athletes. I think when I was 25, I won my first cash prize race and it was over a guy who was 40 and I thought he was, he was ancient. And I, I remember it because in the past <laughs> last quarter mile, I was running the fastest 8K I've ever run and he high-fived his wife and kids over to the left and I passed him on the right and beat him and I thought I was so awesome. And I was like, the next year I knew he was going to be back and I thought, surely he'll be 41 and I'm still getting faster than it. I didn't, wasn't sure. Like I've never been sure of myself as an athlete, but I didn't think he was going to be. It was going to be me losing to myself, and less about him getting five minutes faster in a sprint try. But he crushed me. Like old man speed is is 
he had speed, he had knowledge that I didn't have at age 25. And I'm hoping that, you know, I get that, but really it's, you know, the, 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 the need for a coach for an athlete cannot be under, uh, under, cannot be overstated. Cannot be, I don't know. Can it, you need one and you need someone else to tell you to stop being stupid and do the right thing. It, it's funny. You say that about perceptions of when you're out there racing, when you see older people, because several of your races, when I've shown up, like I, I'm not an, I'm not old, but I'm not a young guy anymore. And you have these college kids out there. I'm pretty sure they call you old man. I, I'm, I've heard it. I've heard, I, I, yeah. It was someone on the mic. I don't know who had the mic. It, oh, it was me. I yeah, said it. Yeah, it was me. But yeah. I, I remember being out there and I came in and I was like second overall at this race. And the kid that finished third might have been 19. And he, he finished and he goes, man, that, that was a really good race. Like, you're pretty fast for an older guy. And it's like, seriously? It's like, wow. You know, like. <laughs> at least he put the ER on older. Yeah. Like, he didn't say old an old guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, so. Not only are you an athlete, you're a dad. Talk to me about how you balance family. I, I see Libby running around. I see Hazel running around. You got it's a whole family we, affair at the races. I balance it extremely poorly. I'd like to say that I'm the guy who gets up at 4 a.m. and gets the workout in, so it doesn't affect the family. I don't like 4 a.m.s unless I'm working. Like, I don't get up early or anything. We're lucky enough that we work from home, so I can set some of my schedule. But I'm blessed to have a wife who understands that I'm a much more sane and rational person if I work out. And, and, and she'll take, she takes a lot of the, the brunt away. She never has made me feel bad about going out for a long run or a long ride or a long swim or a long bike or any of that stuff. She, She's, she's allowed me to be me. And uh, we, I definitely took off, you know, I don't train 25 to 30 hours a week like I used to as a triathlete, which may, this is like retirement running, training for a marathon. It's, it's not nearly the same. It's a lot easier, but she doesn't make, she, I have a family that allows me to do what I want to, what I need to do for my, my mental and physical health. But, um, I'm, Libby's amazing. I, I, she, she takes the brunt of it and, uh, that, God, I wish I could take some of the credit. No, I don't, I don't do a great job of, of, of doing family time, uh, and forcing it. We, we do it. Uh, I get my workouts in and then we, we still have family time, but Libby takes a lot of the effort away from me and makes it easier and makes it less stressful. Well, it sounds like a great partnership. I know from the outside watching, it's like when you guys are there together at the race, it's seamless. You know, I mean, I know there are hiccups and, and there are, but you, you guys, it's not obvious. You guys do a great job. You've never heard us yell at each other. We we definitely <laughs> fight like an old married couple up. at races. Well, the mic wasn't on. Oh, no, it. I mean, it's it's part of the our our crew says mommy and daddy are fighting again. Uh, we <laughs> we're, we the the actually the only problem with this is not the fact that we argue; it's that our child got my stubbornness and Libby's stubbornness, Ooh. so Hazel is double stubborn. So we're we're, we're we're that's the only downside of this. We're learning that we rubbed off on our child the wrong way, but no, we <laughs> hopefully the athletes don't see the chaos behind the scenes. But we we you know. Living, working, and everything with with your spouse is is tough work, and we continue to work on it and fight through it. All right, I'm gonna throw you on the spot here. Um, three professional and three personal goals for the year. What are they? Um, the professional goals are pretty easy because we've been working on them regularly. We're gonna uh, we've we've gotten to the point where we can make some decisions based not on money but on sanity. So we are working on 
getting our staff to the place where they can do a lot of the stuff and we don't have to do everything. So we've hired some part-time staff and my, my, mine and Libby's, Libby's a little better at this, but my professional goal is to not let the business, uh, run my life. Uh, we will, we're going to let some people do some midweek work. So we're not working 80 hours a week. We're going to kind of focus on less on profits and more on living which is is really tough for me. I'm a competitive person and I'm competitive in work and in play. So, uh, you know, I constantly want to do better. And this is kind of a step back in that and focusing on on on, on our, our, our family. Professionally, I'd still like to see our our races grow. They grew last year almost across the board. And I'd like to continue that going. I don't know if that was three, but the first one was long. So I'll count that as yeah. three. So those professional. What was the other one? Professional per- and personal. Just curious. Uh, I, my goal is always to be a better person. I, I struggle with a lot of stuff and I try to be better. And that's something that's always on my mind. So I don't make like New Year's resolutions, but I'm constantly trying to be a better person. So that's a very vague goal, but I don't know. I'm a, I'm, I'm a tough person to live with, I'm sure. So I try to do better at, at me. Obviously I, I do want to be healthier. I, I'm trying to cut caffeine to be a race director. I, I haven't, done this on my blog yet but i've pretty much had been addicted to caffeine for well over a decade right now i'm up to well i've cut back just recently but it was generally two five-hour energies a day to get through the day which is not healthy and not good for the heart so that's that's a big goal for me it seems stupid but i'm literally addicted i don't think they help me at all they just it's it's cigarettes but in liquid form and then uh hit this goal just go out there and run the race i i know i can finish a marathon the way I want to. And, you know, actually along that goal, I've finished three good races since Hazel's been born and all three of them, the cameraman hasn't been ready when I came across the line, which is, <laughs> which is frustrating. So what, since for 20 years, I've wanted to hold my kid on my shoulders and get that picture that every dad has. And none of them exist. One of them is my child crying because she's leaning off because she didn't know what was going on. And the cameraman got a picture like from the side and the other two he wasn't there. So I want, that's the other one. We're going to make that a goal is a good picture with my daughter before I can't carry her over my shoulders to get across the line. <laughs> nice. That's a good yeah, one. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Richard, how, how do they, uh, how do people find your, your racing company? What's your website or how do you want to reach Hopefully out? my marketing does a good job, but if not, uh, <laughs> triviumracing.com, T-R-I-V as in Victor, I-U-M as in Mike, racing.com. And you just mentioned a blog. What's your uh, blog address? How can we find that? Oh, I'm not that. I just put it. On, <laughs> I, it's on Trivium Racing's website because I don't know how to do the other stuff. So I just type stuff up and then I hand it off to you know whoever does our web our marketing team and say, here, you guys can post that. Uh, it's more keep me accountable so I keep doing what I what I'm trying to do and don't get lazy. Is it any new event that you uh, you guys have that you want to plug get, get people curious about? Stay tuned. Uh, we haven't posted uh, anything new mm-hmm. yet, but we have a couple ideas that we're throwing around and trying to get permits for. But there's there's some events uh, that are coming up. Cool. Nice. And again, his market cool. primarily, you're going to find him up in Michigan, uh, the Detroit area for the most part. Correct, Rich? And South, yeah, we do. A, we do across Michigan, but mostly southeast Michigan. OK. And then also down here in uh, the Rowlett and the, the Greensboro area of North Carolina. So. Any other questions for Rich? I mean, we've really kind of examined all aspects of his life. Uh, 
I mean, <laughs> I feel like we've touched on everything. Anything? Any major surgeries or you know anything else you'd like to tell us about? <laughs> no, <laughs> don't, not, don't answer not, that one. Not recently, <laughs> no. No, no, but um, nah, super exciting. I mean, um, so uh, what's uh, I said you? Well, Jay, go ahead. I mean, I'm not sure. Where do we want to go here? I mean, we can go any direction. I still have a haiku to share, so oh. you know, I know you're, you guys are dying to hear I, it. So. I wrote a haiku, and I even started like a real you poem did. because I like rhyming poems. I did write. Let me see if I brought it with me. Well, just so you know, go I did it. not write any poem. And, and, uh, you know, rich, and well, rich is, Google it right and, now. You, look, maybe you can write it right now, okay? No. Okay. Richard, get a piece of paper, both of you. Well, you got time, Matt. You're, you, you did it before, okay? You need three lines. The f- lines one and three need to have five syllables. Uh, and, line, and the second has to have seven. It doesn't have to rhyme. A haiku is easy. You can think of Maybe one. I'll just come up with a triathlon <laughs> poem real quick. Let me think. Well, they, okay. Something. Maybe you want to do that. Well, I'll start it off. If, did you find it, Jillian? Oh, I left it at home. I'm going to see if I, oh, okay. brain fog can bring it back. Okay. Well, did you hear it? So f- lines one and three are five syllables, and it's, uh, the second is seven. So you, maybe you can recreate one like Matt and Richard are right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how bad these are. Oh, it's not going to be but good. He- all right, here's mine, and and it it's a throwback to Jack and and the show because I wrote it right after the show or the the recording last last week. So here's my haiku: Hitchhiking is fun, racing Iron Man is great, and now I am broke. That's a good one. <laughs> and obviously, broke could be money, body, yeah, right. whatever. <laughs> yeah, did you guys get it? Oh, I yes. got that. Just yeah. checking. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm stumped here. I'm I'm not good on the spot like this. Oh, all right. Well, you owe one next Yeah, next I'll work week. on something. I'll throw something together. All <laughs> right. Uh, is Richard, he, he's anxiously working on it. Well, yeah, I'm working I on it, but I, I know 30 seconds is not enough I time. Know, I know. <laughs> I know. So. Well, again, I can I can cut out all pauses. You, you won't even notice. This will sound like we just like came off, off the top of your head. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that smart when it comes to these. My mom's probably like sitting at home cringing. The English teacher she was. Uh, yeah. There you go. All right. I got a haiku. All right. All right. Richard's got one. Ready? All right. I yep. tried to count the syllables. We'll see if I'm right. Face for radio. Richard has a voice for print. You guys took a chance. <laughs> I like it. Nice. There Good you go. Stuff. Nice That's haiku. It's a swing and a hit. Excellent. Swing and a hit, Richard. Swing and a hit. So, uh, <laughs> give, it my, give it my best shot. There we go. Jay, do you want to bring it on home right. for us? That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess from here we'll we'll close it out. So thank you guys for listening. This is episode 11. We, we forgot to celebrate episode 10. We made made it through 10, and here we are in number 11. And um, had some really great comments the last couple weeks, and we are super, super thankful for everybody listening. You can follow along. With our triathlon age group journey on Instagram at triathlon age group journey. And then you can reach out to us via email at triathlon age group journey at gmail.com. It's really weird how I have to look at it to say it. So 
doesn't quite roll off the tongue yet. Jay, that's the only reason I don't close out unless I have my one note open on my phone because I just know I'll butcher it. <laughs> yeah. No, I had to look up in the upper left-hand corner at the top of Squadcast to make sure I don't botch it I feel again. like Richard's got that kind of – he's got that voice like he needs to do a jingle or something for us. He's got that radio voice, <laughs> that deep voice. That's not the first time I've heard that, and I'm not sure what that means, but I've heard I have a voice for radio. I'm not – Yeah, yeah. I hate my voice. I don't know if you guys do this well, but like if I – I won't listen to this podcast. I hate hearing my own voice. <laughs> gotcha. Like, I almost didn't become a teacher because I didn't like speaking in front of people. So race directing is like, I plug my own ears so I don't have to hear me talk. Gotcha. <laughs> nice. All right. Well. All right. All right. Richard, thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me.